everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Plant Powered Dog Podcast. I'm really honored today to speak with someone who I really admire, and I know that so many others of you do as well, Dr. Ariel Griffiths. Dr. Ariel, as she is often called, has worked as a GP veterinarian for 30 years, and over the years, she grew increasingly concerned with the obesity epidemic facing our companion pets. After completing every nutrition course possible, Dr. Ariel turned herself vegan and their family dog, Ruff. This was her introduction into the fascinating world of sustainable pet foods. Dr. Ariel is now a passionate advocate of a kinder, healthier way to feed our dogs that benefits our planet and our farmed animals. The changes she sees in the health of dogs that transition to a plant-based diet astound her on a daily basis. And you can see more about Dr. Ariel at Just Be Kind Dog Food, and I will post the link so that you will know where to find her. So Dr. Ariel, welcome so much. I'm so honored to have you with us today. Oh, I feel I feel the same, Diana, talking to you. <laughs> I feel humbled <laughs> talking to you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And we have so much in common. And I love talking to you on and off interviews. Um, so let me just sort of start and get, if you can tell people a little bit more about your background and, you know, how you went through this transition. I know that a lot of people um, are in the same situation where they, they want to feel confident that they can get their dogs off of a meat-based diet. And here you are a veterinarian. So, you know, let's tell them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, my first thing I have to say is if I can do it, anybody can do it. Because I had, I mean, if we rewind five years I had no idea that my life would go down this path whatsoever um I grew up in South Africa and I have a French mother and my entire life was spent eating French South African foods which is a lot of meat a lot of barbecues every night I would have my Greek yogurt and I love my cheeses and um and so veganism was never part of of what I did I went to vet school and I just you just you just do what what is seen to be what you're taught really what your parents teach you what your school teaches you and what I, I learned at university is obviously when you go to vet school you learn that all animals are well there you've got production animals you've got horses and you've got small animals and that's entirely what you, what you learn. You learn more about the nutrition of a cow than you do about the nutrition of a dog. And it was working as a vet, um, well, it was six years ago now, that I had one day where I had four animals to put to sleep. In that one day, um, I, I always work as a GP vet, so I'm always the one who, who sees the animals. I'm not around the back doing the operations. I hate sticking needles and, and doing procedures on animals. I'd much rather talk to owners, and, and I love that bond people have with their pets. But on this particular day, there were four animals that I had to put to sleep for obesity-related reasons, like the, the enormous Labrador that came into the little consulting room and just flopped on my floor with such bad arthritis and oh. couldn't really stand or the cat that was so overweight it couldn't groom itself or oh. cancer related reasons and I I got home emotionally drained 
um, as I always am. But I just said to my family, that's it. I am going to start slimming pet classes. Um, and so I joined our local slimming world. I thought, right, this will help me as well to lose weight. And I want to understand how, how to, to do it all. And um, and but then I thought, gosh, if I'm going to run slimming pet classes, I know nothing about nutrition. So I threw myself into this fascinating world. And that's where it all started for me, because, I mean, there was one course. It's it's run by one of the top vet nutritionists in the UK. I actually did her course twice to really cement the information. But everything that I learned made me realize the more plants you added to a diet, the healthier you would be and your dog would be. And so, and I'd always been very inspired by our son. He's a pharmacist. And when he was a young teenager, he came to, to my husband and I and said, right, I, I want to go vegan. Um, and my husband and I were really worried. I, I wasn't worried for his health, but I, I worried that suddenly he would think about where his food came from. And and you'd, we don't want our children to worry. <laughs> and, um, but But I always was, I was in admiration of him. I always thought, gosh, I could never mm. do that. Could never give up these foods that I love so much but my slimming pet classes just did not take off people don't want to be told that their pets are fat um, it's a bit like going to see your GP doctor and the doctor says right your child has to go to the slimming class because your child is fat <laughs> um, <laughs> so I closed the door on that but on the day of my 52nd birthday exactly four years ago I announced to my husband, who's also a vet, I said, right, I'm going vegan, but I'm going vegan to find the perfect diet for Ruff, our little family dog who we just adore. And my husband is a complete perfectionist and a vet, and he does everything right. And he grew up in Zimbabwe, which is also a very high meat-eating African area. And he was just horrified. And he just said, no, you can't do this. And I said, look, I." so I had so much to prove so so much to prove is not only was I changing my entire health but I was going to take the health of our little family dog who's a little rescue from Cyprus we adore him um and and that's where my journey started and I've never looked back it has been the most eye-opening life-changing fascinating journey that it's impossible to even describe. I know you're vegan as well, and you've been on a similar journey, haven't you? And you can't even describe to people how fantastic it feels to do everything right, according to your morals, according to to how you want to, you have these choices every day of what are you going to eat for your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner. And to make the right choices in helping animals and helping your own health and helping the health of your dogs. It's just the most enlightening journey, you can say. Yes. It feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels so oh, good. Yes. And it, you know, it reminds me of something that I, I hear often on, on social media, which is don't impose your morals on your dog, right? So tell us a little bit you know, what have you seen health wise in our uh, people? First of all, have your have people that you deal with uh, clients or um, are they generally receptive to this and those who are and that you've managed to switch over? What are you seeing so that some people can understand um, that this isn't just imposing morals on our dogs, that when we do this right, it's very, very mm -hmm. nutritionally sound. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think as a vet, I think that's been my biggest eye opener is you're not imposing. Well, we do want to impose these morals on our dogs. We, in a way, they are our children, really. And we don't want them to have leather leads and we don't want them to run off and kill a squirrel and bring it back to us with blood dripping from their mouths. We we, we want them to share in- We don't, food. some people do. <laughs> some people do, absolutely. But, but the ones who have pets to, to be part of their family, it's not, it's not mm. worth, it, you don't want them to run off and, and kill something. It's not part of why we choose to have our pets and love our pets. We want them to share in our love of nature and take them on the right. walks that we so adore and appreciate nature. So, so I feel, yes, we do want them in that capacity to share our, our morals but the second question you you well the question you asked me is how do people react interestingly my I think because my approach has been to not impose any of this on anybody I, I've always waited for people to ask the questions um, I've actually stopped doing GP veterinary because, and I stopped during COVID, I found it just too hard because animals and owners were not allowed into the practice and they just had to leave their dogs or their cats in my arms and, and they, they couldn't be there. And I found it so emotionally draining that I stopped then. But actually that's when me helping um, owners with with their feeding their their pets properly and healthily just took off um so that's what i i just do permanently now but um but just speaking to my my veterinary colleagues when i tell them what i do it just saddens me so much in that they're not open minded to it at all because it's something it's almost seen as a criticism to the way they've done mm. it before is all the choices they've been making before has have been the wrong ones. And mm. so they're not seeing it in, in an open-minded way. But yes, I mean the the changes I've seen are just phenomenal. But it's 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 putting aside how fantastic a plant-based diet is for our farmed animals, how incredibly fantastic a plant-based diet is for the planet. Putting that aside, the the, the health benefits to dogs that I'm seeing as a vet where my entire focus is to do the right thing for the health of a dog. And I can't talk for cats because I haven't concentrated at all on cats. I've only, I'm obsessed with the, the nutrition. A bit like you, Diana, once we hit our obsession, there's no stopping us. And my obsession is the nutrition of dogs on a, on a plant-based diet, getting it right. But once owners see, I mean, I see it in myself when when I'm plant based, I can think clearly, I feel healthy, I, I sleep better, just everything about it is is better. And, and so we see those same changes in, in dogs, the weight just falls off when they're given more fibers, those healthy fibers. And and you can literally see the weight falling off. And what happens is you then see the dogs being able to walk more. They, 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 they're able to go and sniff. They're able to get that mental stimulation. So they get their energy back. They get that glow back in their eyes. And, and the elderly dogs, they lose the, the um, cataracts that they're starting to develop or this doggy dementia just goes because suddenly you're giving these these phytonutrients these antioxidants 
that, that reverses these cataracts. So, so you can bond for longer with your elderly dog. They can go for more walks with you and you can, you can exercise those sore tight joints that when they carry that weight, when they're not feeling well, they just want to sleep, their joints seize up. Their arthritis is so much more. Um, and then yeah. dogs that have all these intolerances and there are so many, all these purebred dogs or dogs that have had problems when they're young, when they've had operations on their intestine or had high doses of antibiotics when they're young due to, to problems or, or um, um, bacterial problems, they end up with so many problems later on with their immunity where they cannot have a certain level of protein. They cannot tolerate meat protein, fish protein, chicken protein. And the only diet they can tolerate is a plant-based. And those are my favorite ones because I'm getting so many of these wonderful pet mummies and daddies that come to me and they know nothing about vegan nutrition or plant-based nutrition. Mm. All they know is that this is the only diet that their dog can have. They've even either been recommended it by the vet or they found my website. They've Googled vegan vets in, in the UK, found it. Their dog goes on to a plant-based diet. The first thing all of them mention is how soft their dog's fur becomes. That's always the first one. I bet you get that as well. I love that. Our dog has the softest fur ever, like a puppy. Um, and then after that, they mention how suddenly their dog loves the food, whereas before these hydrolyzed protein diets, they were totally unpalatable. They were still causing such digestive issues. Their dogs still had to have the course of steroids they, or, or else their yeah. skin was still a problem. They still had to have the, the Apoquel, which is full of its side effects. Suddenly they can stop giving that medication. It's completely life-changing. And those are my favorite ones because those are ones who start thinking, oh, actually, maybe I should go plant-based myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And it's interesting that you talk about the um, hydrolyzed proteins. You know, talk a little bit more, if you could, about that, because I work with a lot of dogs with gastrointestinal issues. And then, of course, you know, the vet will often say, you know, we don't want to put the dog on a plant-based diet, but you need to give your dog this hydrolyzed food. So can, you know, do you mind explaining a little bit more to people why we really don't find that ideal, especially in the long term? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what a hydrolyzed protein diet is, is it's a diet that is made by the big pet food companies, the Purina, the Hills, the Royal Cannon. They all have what we call these prescription diets that are sold in veterinary practices specifically for dogs that suffer from intolerances to protein. And it's mainly meat protein or chicken protein that they suffer from. So what these companies do is they take this protein and they hydrolyze it, which means they break it down into tiny little particles called amino acids, these, these amino acids, which then uh, they say they're not, that the dog then should, its immunity shouldn't react to, to this protein. But what you've got is you've got a highly processed meat-based diet. And one of the companies, I'm not going to mention the names, but one of the companies, 
actually takes chicken feathers and, and breaks down chicken feathers as part of the diet. It, it does say on the side, it says, it says um, chicken, what is it? Chicken byproducts, it says, hydrolyzed mm. chicken byproducts. And it's actually just the feathers. And if you look mm. at the protein level of these foods, they're incredibly low. So a dog cannot be maintained on these diets indefinitely. They have to go on it. They're very expensive, first of all. Because they're so highly processed and have all these broken down, one of the uh, the big companies, I'm not going to mention the name, they actually just add pure sugar. If you look at their ingredients, the fifth ingredient is just pure sugar. You can imagine a dog eating this, what it's going to do to their teeth, what it's going to do to their endocrine hormones. You don't want your dog to stay on that. Um, so they do do this mm. with, with babies in China because the Chinese tend to be intolerant to milk. We should all be intolerant to milk, really, because we... It's Except not baby cows and goats. Except baby cows, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So none of us should actually have the enzyme lactase as adults to digest and, and our dogs. But dogs suffer badly from, from dairy intolerances. But sorry, I'm distracting. But, but babies in China are actually fed hydrolyzed milk protein um, to because of this intolerance but 60% of the babies still react to this hydrolyzed protein and the same is seen in dogs is 60% will still react to this hydrolyzed protein mm. so so what we've got a top nutritionist in the UK a lady called Dr Sue Patterson who in 2018 she um, she realized as a dermatologist and she began importing a food from Italy that's actually made by by vets in, in Italy and a dermatology company in Italy which is a vegan diet she began importing it as a dermatology diet as an alternative to a hydrolyzed protein diet it's still sold now and it's a fantastic diet it's extremely palatable because when you compare hydrolyzed protein unpalatable very processed dogs do not like it at all and they still react and then you've got these pure ingredients these pure plant-based ingredients with none of the and I know you you mentioned this so beautifully in your book Diana is bioaccumulation of toxins because when you think about it meat-based foods whether they're hydrolyzed or just normal meat-based dog foods they will contain the byproducts of the meat-based industry and these byproducts are the excretory organs of the animals the cows the sheep the pigs mm. and excretory organs livers and kidneys is where all the toxins accumulate in the body of these feedlot animals and these feedlot animals are kept in such cramped environments they're pumped full of well if it's not antibiotics it's going to be growth hormone promoters or antiparasitic medication and it'll all accumulate in these organs. And it's these very organs that are fed to our dogs in meat-based dog foods. Even raw fed, you're going to be buying liver and kidneys. You're not going to be buying the, the, the pure steak. So you're going to be giving these toxins to your dog, which your dog then has to process through their liver, their kidneys. If they're elderly, it puts such a strain on the kidneys, such a strain on their liver. But if you take the pure mm. plant-based ingredients straight from the source where, where these herbivores are getting their proteins from, every plant contains proteins, you're getting none of these toxin buildup in, in the body of, of your dog. So, so you there's no comparison. So that's why dogs that are then 
had these gastric issues, these skin issues, these intolerance issues. They're put onto a plant-based diet, especially if it's fresh whole food and not processed. The changes I'm seeing blow me away every time. Um, it, it takes a lot to convince these pet mummies and daddies that they actually have to try it. Um, right. They're very resistant to it because their vets have just gone down the hydrolyzed protein route. Um, and and it, it's hard because it's, it's taking a step into the unknown. But thankfully, with your book, with all the wonderful research that Professor Knight is doing and Dr. Oh. Dodd in, in Canada, I mean, the, the, the research, and, yes. and now we've got Illinois University's done research on, on fresh diets. We've, yes. we've got more and more and more information for vets to absorb and take. And so, so thankfully, I, I'm, I remain enormously positive that we are at the cusp of a turning point. If I, as one vet, can see these changes, the, the, the thousands of vets there will also see these changes when these foods start becoming mainstream in veterinary practices. They have to, because... Um, we can't keep feeding our pets yeah. the way we have been um, for sustainability issues, but right. also for, for their health. We cannot keep supporting bigger pharma and big pet food corporates, which is basically what we're doing. Even these enormous raw food companies now have become so enormous and so wealthy that they've actually formed enormous corporates. And, and again, yes. we, so they they've got the most advertising they've got the most exposure but but we can't keep being um supporting these because it's yeah the harm that we're and, doing to with and them. the supporting the cruelty right yeah so i actually had read something that you posted um, which i found really intriguing which was a study showing how these raw meat diets people often don't think they cause problems but that they're actually promoting antibiotic resistant bacteria, right? Is that you had, yeah. So even just the raw meat in itself. Um, so, so that just going back to that, it was during COVID, it was 2020 in April, 2020, when all the countries had shut down, we'd all shut down. But every, every year in Paris, they have a collection of all the scientists who, who release important papers. And they would get together in Paris and discuss all these important papers. And in April 2020, everything was shut down. But there was one paper they had to release because it was so important. And it was this study that showed that dogs fed a raw meat diet were exposing their owners and themselves to antibiotic resistant E. coli bacteria, which means that if the owner or if the dog was to fall ill with this bacteria, there was no antibiotic to mm. kill this bug, which meant that if this person or this dog was suffering from some other form of, of immunosuppression, they would die. There was nothing. And this actually, why they had to release this, because it was so important, is this is our next pandemic, is if we don't have the tools in place to kill off a bacteria. Um, and somehow this incredibly important paper has just been buried under the advertising of these um, meat-based raw food companies, they seem to even have gotten more and more powerful since COVID, which is terrifying, absolutely terrifying for all our health, for the dog yeah. and planet and human health. 
Well, listen, it's very interesting. That was something, you know, that I, I actually hadn't thought of before was, you know, people say, well, it's fine. Dogs naturally have these bacteria in their digestive systems anyway, but we don't think about all of this shedding and how they're promoting the resistance, the, and, you know, it's, the, the the consequences, the negative consequences are just so far reaching um, that I think we're going to continue to discover even more health consequences in addition to, of course, animal welfare and environmental consequences. So you see all of these benefits yourself and, and you're convinced. What do you say to the the people that, you know, and, and a lot of vets included, continue to drill into the dogs are carnivore story. Um, you know, dogs have shorter digestive tracts than people, or dogs' teeth aren't the same as people. Um, how do you respond to that? I'm just, I'm curious. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and possibly in, in a very similar way to you do is, um, is dogs are not carnivores they belong to the order carnivora but in this order carnivora we have the carnivorous gray wolf we have our omnivorous domestic dog and we have our herbivorous panda bear now the panda bear belongs to the order carnivora it has the same dentition the same sort of teeth as our dog does but all they live off is bamboo shoots and leaves. Equally belonging to this order carnivora is a very shy animal, which I've actually treated before in a zoo in the UK. It's called an art wolf. It's a funny looking little spiky animal, almost going extinct, lives in Africa, oh. nocturnal. All they feed off is termites, is two species of termites. They've got a long tongue and they lick these termites in, in the nighttime. They too belong to the order carnivora, and they too have the same looking set of teeth as our dogs do. So what we have, and, and I could go on, there's a there's a, another a dog that lives in, in, in South America. That it's, mm. it's, a, it's a fascinating, it looks like a mixture between a fox and a wolf, and it lives off mm. of slanum, which is a type of wolf apple, and it teaches its young to forage. Um, when when they're born because they are primarily herbivorous so going back to our domestic dog there are published studies that actually show that 3,000 years ago and there, there's this pit that they found in in um, an hour out of Barcelona they found the bones of 38 dogs that were buried in this pit and um, there's a whole published paper on it, a lovely lady called Sylvie with a lovely Spanish name. And they found doing carbon isotope dates, car not carbon dating, but checking carbon isotopes. They found that these dogs lived 3000 years ago. So they would have lived at the time of Stone Age men, where, um, where men would have started with agriculture and started having keeping livestock. And these dogs would have been used to guard the livestock and guard their crops. And they, they went mm. even further as they did further isotope tests on these dogs' bones. And they found that more than half of these dogs had carbon isotopes that were similar to the animals, the herbivorous animals they were guarding. So these dogs were actually primarily mm. plant-based, a bit like the ancient Phoenicians. They also 
were primarily plant-based for their strength. And, and these dogs would have been fed on millet, which is one of the main grains grown in that region. Um, it, it would have provided them with instant energy to, to actually go off and, and chase the animals. But also yeah. what um, what what they there's studies done at the University of Uppsala, I love that name in Sweden, is they found that um, that and this, these studies were done quite a long time ago, is that the genes of of dogs have changed and they have far more genes that the whole genetic isotope has changed the, the dna has changed of domestic dogs over the years so they actually have to have 50 percent of their diet as carbohydrate whereas a gray carnivorous wolf has 1.5 percent of its diet as carbohydrate so they have actually adapted to digesting carbohydrate and i mentioned this in my in my master class that i've got is they found that Dogs have more amylase in their saliva than horses do. How remarkable is that? You think of what a horse eats, but actually the the, the way dogs have changed and adapted. So no, dogs are not carnivores. They are opportunist omnivores that have just lived off whatever man has fed them. And man has only ever fed them scraps. Um over the years and um and so that's why they they can cope so beautifully with a hundred percent plant-based diet just as we can we should not we are we are primarily primates aren't we we should all be a plant-based <laughs> that's that. right that's right exactly that was that's one of the best descriptions i've ever heard about somebody you know addressing that carnivore mm -hmm. issue i think that was just beautiful and I hope everyone listens to that <laughs> so that's just really great yeah um and yeah it's dogs have grown up with us if you will over tens of thousands of years and evolved genomically and even their microbiomes are changing and have changed to get further away from you know the wolf ancestor and and more like their current families the humans um and so it's and, yeah absolutely and and i mean that is a whole new topic the gut microbiome and we're only just hitting the surface with us and with our dogs but research has been done in the uk showing that certain regions of the uk we share almost the same gut microbiome with our dogs in our families and there's certain regions where the gut microbiome differs whether it's to do with the number with the amount of chlorine in the water or or whether to do with the the pesticides that's used on the crops in that in that area or the soil type we all share in in similar gut microbiomes and the secret to me of of plant-based feeding health is all down to the gut microbiome in yes. every capacity it's that to me is the reason why dogs that have such terrible allergies and allergic conditions and people as well um, who then go on to a primarily plant-based diet or a hundred percent plant-based diet they can cure those autoimmune conditions in dogs and in humans because of the gut microbiome having that right level of nutrients that that mm. that lines the the villi of, of that digestive tract and feeds the good gut bacteria who just want to thrive like all species they want they want their food and they get it from the fiber that we feed them and because That's mammalian right. enzymes yeah. can't break open the, the fiber and get these important 
important, these polyphenols and these wonderful antioxidants, but the good gut bacteria can, you then have the perfect environment for these good gut bacteria to make their their food, which is short-chain fatty acids, which have the most amazing effects in, in the body of our dog in allowing these right. good nutrients in and stopping the toxins from going in. So you just give your dog the best form of nutrition by feeding the good gut bacteria really and that's right and like you said what does that the fiber yeah that's what they love to munch on those bacteria right absolutely and they just want to thrive they want they want the right food they want the right environment they want the right ph um and by giving them that fiber you've giving them that and they're going to repay you or repay your dog (laughs) by fully supporting their health and allowing the vitamin E and the selenium and the amino acids and the zinc to be absorbed properly. So you get just the right level for their skin. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite plant-based foods for dogs? Well, I mean, our little Ruff has his absolute favorite, the one food that makes his pupils dilate. Um, and you hear me <laughs> rustling the packet when I open the fridge is tofu. Absolutely. Oh, my favorite. Tofu. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it's, it's mine and his and our favorite lunch that we share in together in the middle of the day um, is I just fry up some tofu. I, scr- I just scramble it, fry it up with some nutritional yeast and that's mm. it. we've got it packed full of vitamin b we've got all the amino acids and obviously the the ancient chinese were so clever and in making tofu weren't they and 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 it's the tofu nagari that's the important one that that lovely solid one made with the the i think it's magnesium Mm -hmm. chloride which magnesium chloride yeah because you're not just getting those amino acids you're getting the magnesium chloride that our dogs need as well um which is so so tofu would be top of my list but oh quinoa i'm just mad on quinoa yes i never used to until i went vegan i used to think oh gosh it's tasteless and but I love the cuts. I love the little pop that it has. And you mix it. Well, I for me, I just mix it with a bit of olive oil and salt and pepper. Um, for Raf, he would have it just just plain. Right. <laughs> Sometimes with a bit of soy sauce. Um, but um, all mixed in with the, the tofu and the nutritional yeast. But um, and there's, these are just snacks. These are not his, his main meals, his, his main home. That's right. Yeah. Well, and if you could talk a little bit about that, I have used, um, you know, I have the pleasure of working with many people in the UK and designing diets for their dogs. And I absolutely love your product, which I would love you to talk a little bit more about and the importance of making sure that any um, long-term diet is nutritionally balanced. So tell us a little bit about how you came to develop um, your product and, and uh, you know, how that works with plant-based diets yes absolutely so I mean it, it all really started with um me having this absolute desire this obsession to find the right diet for rough from the word go I just thought there's no ways I want to harm him in any in any way um and so I once I'd done all my research in the UK and realized that the top vet nutritionist in the UK 
they knew more, I knew more than they did. They were referring me to the US to buy veggie dog supplement. And I just thought this is not good enough. Um, I, I don't want to, it's too far um, right. importing. And right. so I turned to Germany where I was put in contact. I met the wonderful owners of Veg Dog, the company, the two lovely ladies. Um, and and I began importing their food. I began importing their supplement. I kept it in my garage at home and I started. <laughs> but I worked... Which is different than Vegadog. In the US, we have Vegadog. Yeah, exactly. In Germany, you have Vegadog. Exactly. They have the All in Velux supplement, which I began importing, and their food called Green Crunch, which, um, which I began importing and selling just on a very small scale. And, and as I say, I had to do my garage at home. But I, I worked with the German vet nutritionists who like you would would have do everything absolutely correctly and this supplement and we formulated some some diets that that because the diet the uh, recipes they were recommending were really for German owners I wanted some for UK owners so it could be ingredients they recognized so I formulated some really lovely recipes and it was all going fine and I was slowly building interest in people in the UK very slowly because I was learning along the way. Um, and then we had Brexit. And suddenly I couldn't import it anymore. And, and I was devastated because I just thought, right, what do I feed my dog now? Um, mm -hmm. And so, so, I, wow. so I, I looked at what we've got Bramble, the dog who lived in the UK, lived in the 50s and 60s, who was fed a organic home-cooked diet by her own and she she was in the Guinness Book of Records in 2002 because she lived till 25. Um, so her owner and heritage had put down all the ingredients that she was feeding and I thought gosh there's got to be something in this. So I, I made up her um, her diet which she said was balanced um, I cooked it exactly as as it should be, and I sent it. It cost me two and a half thousand pounds, but I sent it to a laboratory to have it analysed for every single mineral or nutrient needed. And my nutritionist, who I, I work with in the UK, who who um, supplies my my supplement, my Just Be Kind supplement, he came back and he said, "Oh wow," he said, "We need to add in lots more here. This is not balanced at all." Um, which was such an eye opener, because sadly, we have so many thousands of people following this recipe, thinking they're getting it right, they've got this balance, they're going to have their dog live till 25. But, but, it, but, but the reality of it is what this wonderful Anne Heritage was doing, and she, she, she was a pioneer in the field of vegan dog right. food, is she was only feeding her dogs once a day. She never, ever chose anything commercial she only ever chose organic ingredients and she made sure that her dog had a little bit of absolutely everything um but that's not a reality for our dogs now is our dogs are fed treats they're fed twice a day some of them get fed three times a day like my dog um and and we've got to and, and we can't always get organic and we can't always find every single ingredient so it's so important to supplement and that's where the just be kind supplement came about so there i was swearing about brexit but actually it it made me develop something that I'm so passionate about wow. is owners like you 
they've got to get it right because then what I was what I still get is people contacting me and saying oh I I haven't been using supplement I've been using this recipe and I've had a little dog right. because such pain with, <sighs> the, with the lack of calcium and vitamin d and, and she had to carry her little poodle everywhere um and as soon as it, it went onto a balanced diet it's been absolutely fine and so and and so many like that so yes it's um the important and, and we'll put a link to that and and to your supplement for those in the uk and i appreciate you saying that because that's something that we really have to counter that misinformation that only an ill dog would need supplementation. Um, there are just certain nutrients that we really, they really can't get in enough quantities or at all without the supplementation. And as you said, maybe in a perfect world, we don't live in a perfect world, right? So yeah. even the soil is nutritionally, you know, depleted oh, these days. In certain so. areas, that's right. And um, it, it's it's impossible to get it 100% right for us as right. humans on a vegan diet. We have to right. supplement our, our vitamin B12. Right. Um, I mean, just that, for example, is, is a That's huge right. one you have to supplement in dogs because um, they say, oh, no, but you get vitamin B from the soil. But or from animals, or feedlot animals, even feedlot animals have to be fed vitamin B12 because there's so little vitamin B12 in the soil or they don't even eat soil based right. these poor feedlot animals. So, so, yes, and that's just one of them. And they've got to have vitamin D3 and they've got this just vitamin D so and selenium yeah, and, oh, and the copper. And the, yes, and the, all of these nutrients. Oh. And, and that's the key is we want to make sure you know, the key is always nutritionally sound, no matter, and of course, as you know, they've done studies on people who feed homemade raw meat diets that are very imbalanced. So mm -hmm. it's very important that people understand we're not just talking, you know, plant-based diets, you know, are imbalanced and they need a lot of supplementation. I did um, meat-based diets for many years before I turned, uh, you know, vegan and doing just plant-based and they all had supplementation because we really need to make sure that we are meeting those, you know, requirements as they're set. Obviously, nobody has a, um, a monopoly on, on what an organism needs to thrive, but we do want to at least be sure we're meeting, um, you know, the regulatory uh, recommended daily allowances. So yeah, I so appreciate your being with us. Um, are there any any final tips or things you would like to tell people who are, you know, curious about this? Mm, is is just just be brave and just try and just trust your instincts. Just know that it's possible because everybody tends to, will talk you down. Your family, your friends, your vet. But just trust your instincts that it's not right to have dripping meat in your in your fridge. Uh, feed yourself plant based and feed that to your dog when all the studies are pointing to health, the health of animals, all the studies. There are no studies done on raw food diets that point towards the health, but there are more and more and more. And I spoke to Professor Knight this week and he said that he's actually He's bringing out more studies this year as well, which is just fantastic. So, so just know that you've got the science behind you. Try to ignore big pharma. Try to ignore big corporate advertising and just go with, with your heart, with what you know 
really feels right because everything about it is right in my in my books with feeding oh. plants everything about it is right we're just doing the right thing by our animals by our planet and and in the cruelty aspect so yeah, yeah. Be oh you just yes <laughs> yes yes and I would just add too to everything you said which is just amazing also ignore the naysayers who don't have the scientific information and the facts and are still um you know just putting their faith in old outdated myths you know there can be a lot of pressure out there and you know you and I we just always encourage people to just stay strong and go with what you know is is the right thing for the animals and for for their health for our dog's health so yeah, thank absolutely. you thank you oh my gosh it's been such a pleasure to talk to you i can't wait for i know that everybody is going to just love watching this and that you're admired worldwide so thank oh, you so much absolutely oh, pleasure that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> thank you for being with us and you've given so much of your time and everybody i hope you enjoyed this episode of the plant powered dog podcast with dr ariel griffiths and we will see you later.